I was reminded of a great story, a legend about Socrates. And um, <laughs> it, it kind of reminded me of, of an incident I had in my own life. Not that I'm Socrates, but somebody, I guess because I never heard Christianity talked about the way I presented it. And um, they actually came up to me at, at the end of the, this talk I gave. And you, they said, that was incredible. And they actually said to me, say something wise. So I said, Jesus was a pedestrian. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they were kind of scratching their head about that for a while. <laughs> it's kind of like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> well, good old Socrates, who had a, a better rep than, than I will ever have in this regard, had a young man come to him one day and said, I want to learn wisdom. Teach me wisdom. And so Socrates says, well, let's go down to the shore. So they go down to the shore. And uh, they wade into the water till they get about chest deep. He says, now, what was your question again? He says, teach me wisdom. And Socrates grabs him by the shoulders and shoves him under the water. And he's holding him under the water for like a half a minute. And he comes back spurting up. And he, he's like, you know what? And Socrates says, tell me your question again. He says, well, teach me wisdom. And he shoves him back under the water again and holds him under there you know, a little longer this time, and he lets the guy up, spurting and coming up, and, and uh, he said, Socrates says, tell me what it is that you want, and he, sh and he goes, I want to learn wisdom, and he shoves him under the water again, you know, and let, you know, holds him there like about a minute again, and he comes back out coughing and sputtering, and he says, tell me what you want, and he goes, air, <laughs> I want air. And I thought, do we approach Jesus like that? Like, teach me some nice little spiritual, theological things. And, or do we come to God because we need, we need him, and we need him, air. We need to breathe. We need to breathe in his spirit to live, to be alive. See, and that's really, um, you know, in, in, a, in the Christian world today that the Bible is a smorgasbord that we can just pick and choose from uh, in that way. And this gospel is one of those challenging ones that, that, that on a lot of levels hits us. Um, and the epistle that, you know, that was read, the portion of the epistle today, talks about what there are things we do need to learn, no, no question. There is, you can't ignore what scripture writes about the beliefs of who Jesus is, what it means to be church, and all these kinds of things. But it has to be that we approach them because we understand that when Scripture lays it out, it's a necessity. You can't just say, be moral, but throw out communion and baptism, for example. You can't just say, you know, or just anoint people with oil, but never teach them anything. So I'm saying there's a larger picture here. But the point is, do we approach it in our, our smorgasbord Christian world to say that we want it, we understand that we just can't breathe a little bit. You know how they check your levels of oxygen in your body, like when you're in the hospital and so forth. It ain't good if you're below 94. You know, there's 100%, but if you go a little bit before, below like 94, 93, they get a little worried in the hospital. So do we breathe in everything that God has for us? And that's what Catholicity means. To be Catholic means to take in all of what Jesus taught, practiced, lived out, 
with the apostles and their communities and so forth. But I want to just point to this here. And again, I'm not saying that we all have to become scholars biblically and theologically, but what it means to, to really give of ourselves uh, to the Lord is really found in this gospel here today. And we know Jesus is going through the city of Jericho. Now, I want to point out something. Jericho, back in the time of Christ, was a very, very wealthy uh, city. It wasn't just a hick town or village type of thing. It was very wealthy. And Zacchaeus is, is a tax collector. Not only a tax collector, but he's the head guy. The head guy. The, the, the tax collectors below him are paying him a commission back. They're, you know, if, if the tax collectors make a commission, they pay up the ladder, <laughs> as it were, too. So when Luke says uh, Zacchaeus was pretty wealthy, he's not exaggerating at all. Zacchaeus, though, is uh, like we know, and I don't need to go into it over again, how tax collectors were seen by Jews. You were a collaborator. You sold us out. Uh, the, your wealth was made on the, on the backs and the blood of people that you had incarcerated, thrown in jail, intimidated, etc., etc. So he, he knew he was particularly hated. And being small in stature, you know, is not only an indication of um, his actual physical, you know, description, but also probably how he was seen. People looked at him as in a very low kind of capacity as far as who he was in his character and so forth. So anyway, he hears Jesus is coming through town. And we have to imagine, again, this is a bigger, this is a bigger city. This is not a, a, just a village of, of sorts. This is a city. And he's heard stories about Jesus. And he's heard that people are saying that he might even be the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And that he, you know, the phrase he uses regarding himself is the Ben Adam, the son of, uh, the son of man, and, and so forth. That he would be the one that would inaugurate the kingdom on earth as in heaven, raise the dead, bring about the judgment of God, etc., etc., etc. But he also hears how Jesus has in his entourage all kinds of people that are marginalized, people that are not liked, people that are even hated because of their occupations or their this and that. Even hears there's a tax collector among his immediate 12. <laughs> and not only a tax collector among the immediate 12, but also a zealot <laughs> among the 12 who would have definitely been somebody that would have wanted to kill anybody that collaborated with the Romans. And they, but they're together as a community with Christ. So he's curious to see about it. You know, this guy's really unusual. They're saying all these wild things about him. Miracles, healings, da-da-da-da-da-da. So he goes out there, and the crowd is there, and he, he can't see too well, and I'm sure they're deliberately blocking him. And he goes down the road a ways, and he sees a tree climbing up, and it's a sycamore tree. And he makes, you know, Luke makes a point of this. He's not just, you know, uh, talking about trees and botany and things like that. Why does Luke make the tree sycamore? I'm not saying he made it. I'm saying, why does he, re when Luke sees it, it's a sycamore tree, he kind of gets excited. Well, sycamore trees were not indigenous to Palestine. They were transplants. They were brought from other places, whether it be Lebanon to the north, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They were not indigenous to there. It's very important to understand that. Because sometimes, you know, these people who are seen as on the, on the edge of things, they're, they're, they're not indigenous. They're not seen as part of the community of Israel. They're seen as something outside of here. 
But Luke's making a point already of how later Paul would talk about being grafted on to Israel. The idea that God would take us, even the Gentiles, and bring us into the union with Israel, which is embodied now in Jesus himself. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. And so the real definition of Israel, biblically speaking, is understood as those faithful to the real God. So he's curious. He climbs up the tree. And it must have been embarrassing because he's looking, and all of a sudden here's a voice down below him. And it says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. I'm going to stay at your house this day. Now that's an amazing statement from a lot of standpoints. But especially in that culture where to, to, to have somebody in your home, to bring them into your home, you shared of yourself, you offered your life, you offered everything to them to have them in your home. And keep in mind how food was seen as really sometimes scarce, so that sharing a meal meant you were really sharing your life with that person. And now this Jesus wants to come into my house, which to go into his house, you would have been considered ritually impure as a result. You would have had to go through a seven-day uh, cleansing period because you came in contact with him, you know, kind of like the way when the, in the pandemic people get scared of catching something. Well, that was the same thing here. And here Jesus says, I'm coming into your house, and I'm not wearing a mask, so to speak, to use a modern kind of image here. I'm not against wearing masks. Please don't take it that way, but you see what I'm saying. Well, Zacchaeus is, is like excited And the thing is, do we really want Jesus in our, in our house, in our lives? Do we really want Jesus at the point where we really live? Do we want all of him or only the smorgasbord parts that we like in that way? Because he's coming to heal. He's not coming to, to hurt or to diminish. He's coming to expand our life, our view to see the greater reality that's around us, and even the reality that God sees in us. To see that reality that's embodied in Jesus, who took on our DNA and human reality in himself, and wants to see that like transfused in the life and, and for the healing of the people that he comes in contact with. But the people are grumbling. He's going in his house? Are you kidding me? I thought this guy was a holy guy. What's he doing? He's going to become impure, contaminated by hanging out with him. And Zacchaeus hears this. And he says the famous line, Lord, look, half of what I own I give to the poor. Now, we don't know if he's already doing this, by the way. But at least from this point on, he will be. And if I've defrauded anyone of everything, I will restore it four times over. That's an amazing statement. Not just tit for tat, I'm going to give back four times more. Like understanding that. And, and I, just as a quick thing about forgiveness, I think we take it cheaply. Like, uh, and I've shared this story before. This guy who was cheating on his wife big time and, and, um, and so forth. And he came and confessed it to her, and they cried together. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I forgive you. They're both crying. They hug each other. And that night, he wants to be intimate with her, and she says no. And he comes, and he says to me, what kind of forgiveness was that? <laughs> 
And I said, well, you took it pretty cheaply. I said, you don't understand. It's just not making a statement. What are you going to do to bring about healing? Four or five times over, like it actually says in the Old Testament. And when Zacchaeus says this, then Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Now, it's a twofold entende here. Salvation is, of course, embodied in Jesus coming to his house. But it's not only that God comes to us and that God has a heart to always forgive us, but do we appropriate, do we receive that and then take it into our lives? And if you will, the Greeks would refer to this as ingesting it, like food, you know, and, and becoming satisfied, really like nourished by taking in all the sin. This day salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus, we don't know if he ever quit working for, as a tax collector. And I say that Matthew did. Matthew quit. But I know there are times in, in the life of the church and in the history of the church that people stayed in a profession but used it to do good for others. Like in the communist period, Father Roman used to talk about this as well as other accounts of this, that many of the guards were helping Christians. There were people in the communist party. Now, I'm not advocating you know, this extreme Marxist, Leninist kind of communism by any stretch, but the fact that people were part of that party, like a guy named Schindler, And God used them. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And where I've defrauded anyone, I will restore it four times over. So that's why we can't judge people, by the way. We don't know how God works in the mystery of all that. How can you do that and yet invite Christ into your home. Now, that's a lot different than working as somebody who tortures people in a concentration camp or some horrific thing like that. But my point, you get my point. You get my point. And that the wonder of God, the wonder of this Ben Adam, the son of man who comes to seek and to save the lost. And really, by reaching out to the poor and and restoring things four times over, etc., etc. It's like Zacchaeus is, is partnering with Jesus in his ministry to seek the lost, the those who are poor, hurt, destitute, broken, etc. To manifest a forgiveness and a healing that's four times more than what the world around us can offer so cheaply. You know, just forgive me, that's it. Like the guy with his wife after he cheated on her for years. What do we do that, that, just, that we receive Jesus into our home? And that we, we receive him knowing that we need him as much as like that story with Socrates, that guy wanted air. So we can breathe, take in the breath of God himself, the breath of God, to incarnate in us the reality of Jesus and the kingdom 
on earth as in heaven. Approaching church, approaching the sacraments, approaching prayer, like we need the air. Not just, well, this is my obligation, I've got to do it, or God will be somehow upset with me. No, it's not about that. God loves us. He's not looking on a checklist here. But for our own health, the health of our souls, the health of who we are, as becoming Christ, both together and as pers- on personal levels. So may the Lord bless us with the prayers of Zacchaeus. May he bless us with a deeper understanding of what it means to, to ask for forgiveness and to receive forgiveness and to share the reality of what it's about. That God loves us and uses us. You know, I always think of the parallel, you know, the city of Jericho, and, and, and Luke might have meant this to connect. The story of Jericho has this, in the Old Testament has a similar thing. The city of Jericho, and who was the one that partnered with God? It was a prostitute named Rahab. And God would bring salvation to her household because she, she supported Joshua and the people of Israel. The same thing happening now. And as we're all getting grafted on organically to the reality of Jesus on earth. So, with their prayers, and the prayers of the saints like Isaac and Ephraim of Syria, who taught us about prayer and the hymns and so forth that can touch the guts of our being to help us. A guy named Gregory who had a house church in Constantinople when most of the churches were Aryan and messed up doing liturgy in a living room and watching the world change as he simply sat there and and taught the depths of the heart of Jesus and what God's presence among us means.